Good morning once again, and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let them get out the door. Last week we began our study of the seven I am statements of Jesus that are found in the Gospel of John. And we looked at when Jesus told the people, I am the bread of life. And we saw that Jesus is our sustenance. He is what we need to be taking in on a daily basis for our spiritual strength and nourishment, to fill our spiritual hunger and thirst. Jesus had told the people that anyone who comes to him will never go hungry, and whoever believes in him will never be thirsty. Jesus had said back in Matthew 5 in his Sermon on the Mount that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. This is what we looked at last week. This week we'll move on in the Gospel of John to where Jesus tells the people, I am the light of the world. This statement is found in John chapter 8, verse 12, but to get the context of where and when Jesus makes this statement, I would like for us to begin back in chapter 7. I heard a phrase Last Sunday afternoon in the movie, Jesus Revolution. How many of you have seen that movie now? few of you. I heard this phrase that I really like. So as we begin this morning, just let me say, this is the Word of God. Let's open it up together. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 7. And please stand with me as you're able for the reading from God's Word. This morning I'll be beginning John Chapter 7, verse 37, reading down to 44, and then we'll be skipping over to chapter 8, beginning at verse 12. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his word, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Skipping down to chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself, my other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. 
He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Oh Lord, these are your words, your account of what happened that day. Lord, as we look at them, I pray that your spirit would guide and direct, Lord, this, this sermon, this message. And also, Lord, as always, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As all of these I am statements of Jesus are, this is a very interesting teaching of Jesus. And I think we need to understand a little bit about where and when Jesus is saying these things to better understand his message. If we go back to the beginning of chapter 7, we see that Jesus is speaking during the Feast of Tabernacles. The Jewish Feast of Tabernacles was part of the Thanksgiving Feast, where the people of the Lord celebrated the fall harvest and gave thanks to God for his provision. During this celebration, the Jews would actually build small booths to live in, to signify the type of life the Israelites had lived in when they were wandering around in the wilderness. That's why the Feast of Tabernacles is sometimes referred to as the Feast of Booths. The Lord's instructions concerning how to celebrate this festival can be found in Leviticus 23, verses 34 to 43. Now, we're not going to read those verses right now, but if you want to know where all of this began, you can read about it in Leviticus 23 later. The feast began on the 15th day of the seventh month, and it was celebrated for seven days. So this was a week-long festival. This Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated very shortly after the Day of Atonement, which was held on the 10th day of the seventh month. And it was on this Day of Atonement that the Israelites were to humble themselves before God and present an offering to the Lord by fire. They were told to not do any work on this day. In fact, if anyone did work on this day, it says they were to be cut off from the people. They were to uh, observe this day as if it were a Sabbath day to the Lord. From the evening of the ninth day to the evening of the tenth day, they were to humble themselves, to do no work, and to set themselves apart as a people for the Lord. And it was on this tenth day of the seventh month, this day of atonement, that the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. This was the only time he was allowed to go into that most holy place behind that curtain to offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people. And each year, two goats were chosen to be used as the atonement for the Israelites. One of them was set apart for the sacrifice. It was slain, and his blood was taken in and sprinkled on and in front of the mercy seat of God. The other goat was used as the scapegoat. If you ever wonder where we got that term scapegoat, it's found in Leviticus chapter 16, where all of this is described for the people. The high priest would then present this live goat before the Lord. He would place his hands on the head of the scapegoat, and he would confess over this goat all the sins, all the wickedness, all the rebelliousness of the people of Israel, these sins were symbolically placed on the head of this goat. He then sent the goat away into the wilderness in the care of a man who had been chosen specifically to do this. And that goat would carry on itself all the sins 
of the Israelites as it's led out to a solitary place and then released into the wilderness. So the sins of the people are symbolically carried away by this scapegoat. This day of atonement that was a once a year coming before the Lord for the forgiveness of the people, this day of atonement prepared the people for the following feast of tabernacles, which was a much more joyous celebration. And this is where we find Jesus speaking in today's text. There were some elaborate ceremonies that were part of the celebration of this Feast of Tabernacles. At the morning sacrifice each day, the people would would go out and they would gather palm branches and myrtle and willow branches and they would intertwine them with some of the fruit from the harvest. They would then return to the temple and they would march around the altar of burnt offering, waving these offerings and celebrating before the Lord. They would march around it once a day for the first six days And then they would march around it seven times on the seventh day. Sounds vaguely familiar to something the Lord had the people do when they entered the promised land and and they were faced with this city with these great walls, right? God had them march around Jericho once a day for the first six days and then seven times on the seventh day. And during this Feast of Tabernacles, as the people marched around the altar of the Lord, they would sing what were known as the Hallel Psalms, which are Psalms 113 to 118. Another ceremony they had was that during the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice, the priests would go out to the pool of Siloam and fill a golden vessel with water. He would then carry that to the temple where it was presented to the Lord and received with, with trumpets blasting and words recited from the book of Isaiah, the words that we read together earlier today, with joy will you draw water from the wells of salvation. The priest would then mix that water with the wine of the sacrifice and pour it into a basin that was attached to the altar. And from the altar then it flowed through this conduit down into the Kidron Valley. It symbolized the cleansing of the people, their sins being washed away, to make them ready for the coming of the promised Messiah, when God's Holy Spirit would be poured out on Israel and believers from every nation, quenching their thirst for God and for righteousness. So picture with me now. Jesus, possibly, while this water is being poured out, or maybe right afterward, standing up in the middle of the celebration and saying in a very loud voice, as we read in John chapter 7, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Jesus is telling the people right there and then that he is the fulfillment of this feast and the prophecies that surround it. He's telling them, look, the water that has been poured out to to symbolize your cleansing, to quench your spiritual thirst, that can be found in me. It reminds me again of the invitation given in Isaiah 55 that we read last week. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Give ear and come to me here that your soul may live. This is what Jesus is saying to the people here, that he is the fulfillment of this feast and all that they're celebrating, that he is indeed the true living water. 
Now let's move on to chapter 8, where Jesus tells the people that he is the light of the world. This is also pronounced to the people during this celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles, but later on in the same day, probably during the evening sacrifice. Let me give you a little history behind the second I am statement of Jesus, because this is the one I want us to really focus on today. Another large part of the Feast of Tabernacles was the lighting of the four great candelabra in the treasury of the temple. This would take place in what was known as the Court of Women, which was part of the treasury. In the center of this treasury treasury were these four giant candelabra. Some accounts have these being as tall as the walls of the temple. At the top of each of these candelabra were large basins, large bowls that held oil. Some scholars again say that each bowl held 65 liters of oil. There were ladders that reached up to the top of these. And when the evening came, young priests would climb up, hauling the oil with them, filling those bowls, and then lighting the large wicks. And the light from these giant torches would illuminate the entire temple area. There have been some who have said that the light could be seen everywhere in Jerusalem. These great lights, they symbolized the Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God was the radiance, was the glory, the presence of God as he dwelt in the midst of his people. It was seen in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that it protected and guided the Israelites throughout their wilderness experience. It was seen when the the presence of the Lord would rest on and indwell his tabernacle in a cloud as well. These great lights also symbolized the coming of the promised Messiah, the one who would come in his glory to indwell his people someday. These torches were to light the way for his coming. And most scholars believe that it was here, in the evening, in the court of women among these great lights, that Jesus once again raised his voice above the sound of the people and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is again telling the people that he is the fulfillment of this feast. He is indeed the light of the world. That the Messiah, whom they had been waiting for, had come. There could not have been a more dramatic time and place for Jesus to make this pronouncement about himself. And in doing so, Jesus was reminding the people of their past. He was basically saying, do you remember the pillar of fire that became, came between your forefathers and the Egyptians at the Red Sea and protected them as they wandered in the wilderness. He's saying, I am that fire. I am the light of the world. I am that Shekinah glory. Jesus was once again claiming here to be God. We can even see something of his incarnation here that we read about in John chapter 1. Because John wrote these words about Jesus. He said, the Word, talking about Jesus, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John here may have been referring to what Steve shared with us a couple of weeks ago about the transfiguration of Jesus, where Peter, James, and John went up on that mountain and saw the Lord changed before their very eyes, shining with the glory of God. So John says in chapter 1, we've seen His glory. We know who Jesus is. He is the true light of the world, just as He said He was. 
In making this statement, Jesus was identifying himself for the people with that pillar of fire and that pillar of cloud. Because clothed within that pillar of cloud, there was a heart of fire that was sheathed by day, but it shined brightly in the night. When Jesus came to earth, he sheathed his glory in human flesh so that we could see him, so that we could relate to him, so that he could become the perfect sacrifice for our sins. But within that flesh beat a fiery heart and dwelled with the fullness of God's presence as he lived among his people. When Jesus made this statement in the temple that he was the light of the world, he was saying that all of the benefits that the Israelites enjoyed from that pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire, that they came from him. He's telling them, I'm the one who protected you. I'm the one who guided you through the wilderness. I'm the one who came into the temple of Solomon and filled it with so much glory that the priests couldn't even enter in to do their service. I am that Shekinah glory. I am the light of the world. In this sin-darkened world that we live in, we need to keep this statement of Jesus with us every day. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of life for us in every way. He is the one who lights our path for us so we can see the way to go. The Israelites in the wilderness constantly watched that pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire. It would tell them when it was time to move on or if they were to remain where they were. When it was night, they walked in its light. And no matter how dark the night was, when they were under the light of the fire of God's presence, nobody stumbled, nobody was confused about which way to go, and nobody was afraid. In the same way, if we have Jesus, the light of life living within us, we can go through our lives trusting in his guidance, in his protection, in his direction, with confidence that he will never lead us astray, because he is the light of the world. Do you see the significance of Jesus' statement here? When he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That whoever follows me, it draws on the image of the Israelites following that pillar of fire. Jesus is claiming to be the presence of God among them. Ready, willing, wanting to be their guide if only they will choose to follow him. And he's telling them that they must follow him, just like the Israelites followed that pillar of fire if they wish to have the light of eternal life. He says, otherwise they will continue to live in darkness. Light and darkness are used throughout the scriptures of speaking of, of living with God and living without God. And here Jesus says that whoever follows him will have the light of life. Jesus is not only saying that we have the light coming into us, but that we ourselves then become a shaft of the Lord's light, that he shines his light through us. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of light. Notice that he doesn't say you have light in the Lord, but you are light in the Lord. Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. No, instead they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. In Matthew 5, 14, he tells us that we are the light of the world. And we can only be the light of the world to the extent that we allow the light of Jesus to shine through us. We're not acting as the light of the world if we're not surrendering ourselves to the Lord every day, following him with our whole hearts and trusting him for everything. That's what the Israelites were called to do in the wilderness. When that cloud rested and stopped, they rested, they stopped, they made camp. If the cloud stayed there for a day, they stayed there for a day. If the cloud stayed there for a week, they stayed there for a week. They would move when the Lord moved, and they would stay where they were until the Lord moved. They were totally submitted to and committed to the leading and guidings of the Lord as they traveled and lived in the wilderness. We are called to have that same attitude as we follow the Lord, who is the light of the world in our lives as well. The only way to truly possess the light of Christ is when we submit ourselves to him. Now this isn't something that we say we've learned once and we totally haven't mastered. Because I know there are days, there are times in my life when I am not totally surrendered to the Lord and not following him the way in which he wants me to. When that happens, then the light of Jesus probably doesn't shine through me the way that he wants it to. It's only when I truly surrender myself to God and admit that I can't live my life on my own without his light and guidance. It's only then that his light shines through me the best. Now you may be sitting here this morning thinking, I've never really surrendered everything to the Lord. I want his light to shine through me, but it sure hasn't been shining very brightly lately. And maybe there's something in your life that's not allowing the light of Christ to shine through you right now. Maybe you know what that is. Maybe you don't. If you don't, but you feel that there is something keeping you from being the light that Jesus calls you to be, then ask God's Holy Spirit to open your eyes to what might be keeping you from, from, from shining your light, what might be hiding your light. And once you have once that's been revealed to you, confess it to the Lord, turn it over to him, and follow the Lord like the Israelites did under that pillar of fire. We need to follow it because if we try and run ahead of it, we'll be in the darkness and we'll stumble and fall. And if we let ourselves lag behind it, we'll lose sight of where God is leading. Living the Christian life requires faith and submitting ourselves to God's will each and every day. It's the only way that he will truly shine through us. In these last couple of passages we've studied, there seems to be this, this wilderness theme running through them. We had Jesus as the bread of life, that he was the true bread that came down from heaven, unlike the manna that the Israelites ate but still died. We have Jesus as the living water. Whoever comes to him will never be thirsty again. Do you remember when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness and they were grumbling to Moses because they were thirsty? What did God tell Moses to do? He told him to strike the rock with his staff. And when he did, water poured out from that rock, living water that quenched the thirst of the people. Well, Jesus is like that rock that was struck 
living water flows from him. But do you remember the next time that the Israelites got thirsty? God told Moses to speak to the rock for the water to come out. But because Moses was so angry with the people, he struck the rock with his staff instead. Now water did come out for the people to drink, but Moses paid the price for his disobedience. He was not allowed then to enter into the promised land. The rock was only to be struck once. Perhaps a picture in the Old Testament of Jesus who was struck once for the sins of all mankind. Paul tells us in Romans 6.10 that Jesus died to sin once for all. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10.10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.18 that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Moses was told just once to strike the rock for the living water to come out. Jesus was struck once for the sins of all mankind. He didn't need to die for us over and over and over again for our sins to be forgiven. Once covered all. This is what we'll be remembering and celebrating when we come to the Lord's table together in just a few minutes. Lastly, we have this picture of the pillar of fire from the wilderness experience that Jesus embodies when he tells us that he is the light of the world. And maybe you're sitting here today and you've never experienced the light of the world, the light of life in your life. Maybe you feel like the Israelites sometimes did. Maybe you're, you're wandering around in a wilderness of your own making and you just can't seem to find your way. Maybe you have a hunger and thirst in your life that you've been trying to fill with anything and everything besides God. You're searching, you're seeking something that will fill that emptiness within you. Jesus tells you today, He is the bread of life that can fill you. He is the living water that will quench your thirst. He is the light of the world that will guide you and protect you. Do you want to have that emptiness filled? We all can, if we will just surrender ourselves to the one who can take us from our wilderness of hunger and thirst and darkness and deliver us to a place of rest, fulfillment, and light. Jesus is the only one who can fill that emptiness inside. He came to be the fulfillment of all the Israelites were looking for. And he can fill all that you're looking for as well. And once Jesus lives within you, his light will shine through you in a way that everyone around you will want to know what's different about you. And then sharing your faith becomes easy because you're just letting Jesus' light shine through you. Jesus is indeed the light of the world. He alone is the light of life. And he wants to shine that light of life through each and every one of us so that others will be brought from darkness to everlasting light. Will you shine the light of Jesus to the world around you? Those who are living in darkness need to see the light of Christ and be saved. You just may be the conduit that the Lord wants to use to shine his light through. So someone else can see the way to God 
and be saved. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Please pray with me. Lord, I thank you that you are indeed the true light of the world. You came to bring light to our sin-darkened lives, to show us the way to God. We thank you for your guidance each day, your protection, your provision as well. We thank you for delivering us from our wilderness of hunger and thirst and darkness and taking us to a place of rest and fulfillment and light. May your light shine through us each day so that others may see the way to forgiveness and salvation through faith by your grace. And as we prepare ourselves to come to your table together this morning, may we remember and celebrate the grace that we receive through your body given for us and your blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And all this we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.